Well, this season, we have been anchoring ourselves as a church around the word with. We've been anchoring ourselves around this word with. And as we process all this last year has brought, and as we anticipate what is ahead, our prayer is that as a church, we would place priority in being with God. And really, this is a a different expression of our mission statement to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to share Jesus. Uh, Really, it is a um, a, a reframing or a different way to think about this this, uh, great commandment and great commission that Jesus gave us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But it's helpful at times to have a word that we can think about and meditate on and remind ourselves over and over again. What does it look like for me to live out the life that Jesus has called me to. It looks like us walking with Jesus. It looks like us being present with those around us. So these past few weeks, we've been looking at this word with in the context of our, um, looking at it in the context of first the Great Commission in um, Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And then the last two weeks, we've been looking at the Great Commandment, to love God and love one another. And this morning, we want to continue with this thinking as we open up together and begin to study the book of Colossians. Now, the book of Colossians was written by Paul, we believe, while he was in prison in Rome, which would put the letter dating around 60 or 61 AD. And he's writing to a church that he had never been to. He's writing to a group of people that he has never met. But he's writing this letter because of a guy named Epaphras. It's a great name, hey? Epaphras. If you're pregnant expecting a little boy, you can think about the name Epaphras. I don't know any Epaphrases. But this guy Epaphras journeys to Paul in Rome to spend time with Paul in prison, to visit with him. And while he's with him, he tells him about this small church. Now we believe that Epaphras was actually the church planter of Colossae. Uh, And so he's coming to Paul as kind of their pastor or the one who started their church. And he has a lot of good things to say. He talks about their faithfulness. He talks about their love for God. He talks about um, the way that this church is growing. But at the same time, he presents to Paul several different concerns, different issues that might be rising up in the life of the people at this small church. And so as Paul responds to these concerns, we might rightly say that he's writing to a church that might be struggling a little bit in their faith. They're wondering things like, is Jesus the only way? Because when we look around our culture, we see all these different gods being worshipped. To say that Jesus is the only way is a pretty bold claim. So, So is he? That was perhaps one of their concerns. Another concern was, well, and if Jesus is the only way, how am I to walk with him in a world where walking with Jesus looks really different than walking in the way of the Romans? How do I do this well? And then in addition to that, maybe some of the concerns that they had was, well, as we think about what it means to be a Christian, how are we supposed to live this out following Jesus in light of these Old Testament writings and teachings? They had lots of questions. So as we look at this letter that Paul wrote thousands of years ago, we recognize that it was a letter written to a specific group of people at a specific time But as we read it, we also recognize that in many ways it's been written to us. Because we too live in a day and age where 
this question of is Jesus really the only is Jesus really the only way? Because we look at all the different expressions of worship in our culture, and it would seem that we live in a world where Jesus doesn't seem to be the only way. So that's a bold claim to make. We live in a day and age where walking with Jesus seems to rub up against some of our cultural norms. People look at us funny when we hold to the teaching of God's Word. So how do we do that well? How do we walk with Jesus well? We live in a day and age, too, where as we look at God's Word, we, we, we wonder, how do we apply this rightly to our lives? So the questions emerging from this young church in Colossae are probably not that different than some of the questions that we find ourselves wrestling with even this morning. And as we are burdened with questions about our faith, we can sometimes feel a little bit stuck. This past week, um, I had the opportunity to go to the aerial park in Snow Valley. Do you guys know the aerial park? You can see it from the white mud. And the aerial park is this kind of three-platformed high ropes course. And when you show up at the aerial park, they put a harness on you and get these little clips and they train you how to use them. And you begin climbing these stairs and each platform has all these different obstacles. Some of the obstacles are as simple as like walking across a balance beam without falling. And, and some of them are, are kind of neat, these different things. You jump one to the other. Well, one of the platforms had monkey bars on them. And I have a three-year-old daughter, so we frequent the park. And I'm like, monkey bars, I can do this, right? I can do monkey bars. And so uh, I, I clip myself into the monkey bar obstacle and I start going. And very quickly, I realized that with most of the obstacles of the aerial park, if you fall or you fail on the obstacle, it's not really a big deal. You just get up and keep going. But on the monkey bars, there's nothing underneath you. So if you fall, you are fully on your harness. And I'm about halfway out on these monkey bars, and my hands start slipping, and I, I lose my grip, and I fall. And I'm hanging there suspended between the two platforms underneath the monkey bars. Well, one of these staff come to me, he's probably 10 years younger than me, and, and says, okay, you have two options. One option is you pull yourself up on your harness and then finish the obstacle. You finish the monkey bars. The second option is I rescue you. I'm like, rescue me? I'm like, I'm not letting you rescue me, okay? I'm like, you're 10 years younger than me. I still got this in me. I, I got it in me, whatever it is. And so... Um, I start trying to pull myself back up on my harness, and I couldn't do it. I had to allow this young man, which I know I'm a young man, but I had to allow this young guy to rescue me in this moment. Friends, there's times in life where we feel stuck. But we get to a point when we feel stuck that we realize that we need to reach beyond the resources available to us. In order to come out of a situation that we might find ourselves stuck in. When we find ourselves stuck, we are looking for someone or something that could come alongside us and help us move out of that situation. And I believe that when we look at the book of Colossians, we have Paul writing to a young church, helping them get unstuck. In, second, in, in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, we read that, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Most commentators look at this verse in Colossians as kind of the big idea of Paul. The point of him writing 
He's writing to this young church and he's, he's desiring that they would walk with Jesus. Remain with Jesus as you navigate the questions you're struggling with in your life. As you navigate these difficult seasons, stay with Jesus. Walk with him. But before we get into all these details, before we unpack all that Paul is about to say to address the many concerns raised by Epiphras, we have to pause and look at two verses. The introduction of the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. These are the verses I want to speak to you about this morning. Because when we think about Paul responding to a church that's maybe stuck, it's appropriate for us to ask, well, how does he begin to respond? When he sits down and begins to write to them, and he has all these things in his mind about what Epiphras has been sharing, about the struggle of this church, as he reflects on the things he might say, where does he begin? How does he begin? And I believe that when we look at how Paul responded to this young church, It gives us insight into how we might respond to others who might find themselves stuck in life. So let's jump into this. Well, first of all, it's important for us to recognize that Paul does not follow a traditional letter opening. Letters written in the first century followed a format of author, audience, greeting. Author, audience, greeting. So if Paul were to follow this, he would have written from Paul and Timothy to the Colossians, grace and peace. And if that is all that Paul wrote, there would be very little, if not nothing, to really preach on from these two verses. But with these additions, I believe that Paul is adding color, depth, and theological truth that sets the tone for all that is about to follow. And I believe that even in his introduction, he begins to resource this young church with with what they might need to get unstuck. And as I think about this introduction, I believe that Paul is reaching out from his place with God to remind the Colossians of their place with God. And in this, Paul demonstrates to us a way that we are to be with others. It's an introduction that speaks to identity, purpose, and meaning. So I'm going to look at this in each one of those sections, the idea of author, audience, and greeting, and pull a bit of truth out of each one of what we can learn from Paul's example. So Paul begins here with this statement of who he is. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So we need to look at this word apostle, because this is a word we don't use very often in our day-to-day. I don't think any of us use it in our day-to-day. And if we do use the word apostle, we generally only use it um, at church or in the context of church. Well, very simply, apostle is taken from the verb, uh, which means to send out. So an apostle is a messenger. It's someone who is sent with a message. So imagine that Pastor Norb had an important message for you, and so he sends me to your house. I show up at your house, and I knock on the door, and I say, hello, I have a very important message from Pastor Norb. 
Well, your first thought is going to be, why on earth didn't Pastor Norb email me or call me? Why are you here, Pastor Adam? But beyond that, you're going to want to know what Pastor Norb has to say. I am a messenger in that case of Pastor Norb. I am an apostle. And in the first century thought, the idea of being apostle wasn't simply that this person's here as a messenger, but that that person themselves kind of fades into the background of what they're there to represent, if that makes sense. So in our scenario of me knocking on your door saying, Pastor Norb has a message for you, you actually, unless you're really polite, you actually don't care that I am there. You care about what I am about to say. Isn't that right? You want to hear what this urgent message is from Pastor Norb, so much so that you kind of forget that Pastor Adam is standing in front of you. And that's totally okay. I wouldn't be offended if we had this type of a scenario. But this is what it meant to be an apostle. The emphasis in being an apostle is focused on the sender and the sender's concerns. So it mattered more what Norb had to say than the fact that Adam was at your door. Being an apostle messenger fades behind the fact that they are sent. In the New Testament, we see this word apostle used in three senses. Uh, In one case, and and we see in Scripture that it will refer to all Christians. So all Christians are both servants and apostles or sent ones of Jesus. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we looked at the Great Commission. Jesus has sent us as his disciples into the world with a message and a purpose. So as Christians, there is something about our role where we are like apostles. We are representing Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Secondly, we see in Scripture that there were apostles of churches, messengers sent out by a church as a missionary on an errand. So when we look at a um, a verse like Ephesians chapter 4, and there's some theological debate on exactly what's being meant, Paul is writing to the church, and he says that, that Jesus has given to the church different gifts. And one of the gifts he points out is he's given the gift of apostles. Now, some people look at this and it's, um, they would say, well, maybe we could translate that as missionary or church planter. This idea of a church sending out someone on a specific task for a specific purpose. So those are the first two. The third is probably the one that we're more familiar with is that apostle is a small, distinct group consisting of the 12. So that's the 12 disciples. Personally chosen and authorized by Jesus as an eyewitness of him. So in the New Testament and the Gospels, we read about Jesus commissioning the 12 disciples to be his apostles. Now what's very important about the idea of being an apostle in this third sense is that these people were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And again, there's some scholarly debate around all of this. But when we read in the New Testament that the church was built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, um, I would think that that is referring to this third sense. It's built on the witness of the disciples of Jesus who were with him. And they were apostles of him, sent out by him to do a specific task. Now it's this third sense that I believe Paul is referring to himself. He's saying that I am an eyewitness of Jesus. Jenna just showed for us in Acts chapter 9 that Paul had this physical encounter with the person of Jesus, making him an eyewitness of the risen Jesus. 
In Galatians, very specifically, Paul has to defend his title as an apostle in this third sense, that he is one who was an eyewitness of Jesus and has now been sent out by Jesus for a specific task. In addition to this, Paul points out that he's writing with Timothy. Timothy is not called an apostle in this case, but scholars would speculate that Timothy probably had a voice or two involved in the writing of this letter. Which is a really neat thought. That that Paul wrote in the company of a friend. He was a fellow servant to Paul. And this was an indication to the Colossians that Timothy stood with him. And that Paul's ideas were not simply his own thoughts. So with Paul's additions, instead of just saying Paul and Timothy. What he is communicating to the church is he's saying, this is who I am. I'm writing to you as a representative of Jesus. And you can trust what you are about to hear. Now, when I think about this and how we might learn from this example of Paul, I believe that Paul's example teaches us that as we begin to respond to needs around us, we need to do it with Jesus. As we respond to the needs around us, we need to respond with Jesus. What I love about Paul's introductions and letters, he doesn't say, hey, I'm Paul, I'm a pastor. I'm a great teacher. I am a scholar and a witness of Jesus. Because that would be a pretty great thing for him to say, right? Like if I got up here and I just listed off all of my credentials and all the reasons you should listen to me, that would make sense to you. Why should we listen to you? Okay, he gave us four reasons. Paul doesn't do that at all. All he points to is the idea that he is an apostle, which is to say that I'm here with a message And what's more important than me is the message I'm about to deliver. And what's more important even from the message I'm about to deliver is the person who sent it. And that is the person of Jesus. So Paul is giving them Jesus. Paul is acting acting towards them as Jesus. He is Jesus' representative. Romans chapter 8, we read that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is working in us. Friends, as we go about our work in the world, as we respond to needs that we see around us, we need to realize that we are doing it as Jesus. There's this beautiful quote from Teresa of Avila, um, who I believe was a a 16th century nun. And uh, she has this, this, yeah, If there's anything you take away from this morning, I I think it should be this quote. But it says, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. Yours are his body. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. When we think about responding to needs around us, we need to recognize that we represent Jesus in this world. As Paul boldly said, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am sent by Christ. I'm representing him. Well, we don't, necess- we don't fit into that apostolic title in the third sense that I talked about. We aren't one of the 12 disciples. But the New Testament theology is clear. We are Christ in this world as his disciples. 
This is us coming to a situation as the young boy came to Jesus with the five loaves and the few fish and allowed Jesus to multiply it. We're Jesus in this world when we hear of hurt and overwhelm in someone's life and we come to them with a bouquet of flowers or a coffee or a meal. We are Jesus to others when we see someone in our class at school or someone at our workplace who just looks lonely or that they need help. And we take the time to come alongside them and sit with them. We bring them Jesus. This is offering to meet up for someone for a coffee or to go for a walk with someone who's recently experienced loss, who is going through a difficult time in their lives, and you come to them. And you don't just come with yourself, but you bring Jesus. In addition to this, as we show up, we give out of our gifting. Paul identified his place as an apostle, yes, but he also recognized his spiritual gifting in his teaching. What is your gifting? What has God given to you that you might be able to give to others? And as we go about our work in this world, as we see needs and we respond to them, we don't pause and look at meeting a need and think about all of our insufficiencies. We don't pause and look at a need and think of all the things we can't offer. Rather, we ask the question, how can I bring Jesus to this situation? How can I bring Jesus to this person who is hurting? How can I represent Jesus here in my school, in my classroom? How can I represent Jesus in my workplace? That is one of our tasks as disciples of Jesus as we go about our work in the world. So that is how Paul introduces himself. Then he goes on to talk about his audience. To the saints and faithful brothers at Colossae. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Paul again here adds to the standard introduction of his letter. He doesn't just say to the Colossians. Rather, as he did with himself, he speaks to their identity in light of God's call on their lives. And how does he do that? Well, he describes them as holy and faithful. Describes them as holy and faithful. Uh, the ESV translates this idea of being holy as saints. The NIV translation here is better. It describes them as being a holy people. And this the word holy or the word saints is just looking back to the Old Testament concept or idea of, of holiness, which is to be set apart. This idea of being set apart for God. So when we read about being holy in the New Testament, it's not so much about our behavior. It's not looking at someone and saying, hey, they, they are really good. They're kind of like a saint. They do things really, really good. They, they make good decisions and uh, they're very moral and they have great ethics. That's not what Paul is saying. When he calls this young church holy, he is saying that they are set apart for God. As Paul was set apart as an apostle... So too the Colossians were set apart from God to be his holy people. It's a comment that speaks to the relationship status between them and God. So we too, here at Terwilliger Community Church, can rightfully be called saints or holy ones. Again, it's not a comment on our behavior. Rather, it is a message that speaks to our relationship status with God. That we are with God. We are set apart to God. Paul calls them holy, but he also calls them faithful. Literally meaning believing or faith-filled. 
or trusting. He's looking at them and saying, you are committed to Jesus. You are committed to Jesus. Calling them holy and faithful is something he says as a matter of fact. He's not speculating. He's not commenting on it as if it was some sort of rumor that he heard. Rather, it was a theological truth that Paul recognized. They are holy and faithful. And he says that they are located in two different places. Located in two different places. If we took this sentence and we read it in the Greek, it would read, You in Colossae, holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul here is commenting that they're in these two different places. The first is their very physical location, Colossae, which is an ancient city in Asia Minor, located in the southwest part of present-day Turkey. Colossae historically had a very diverse population where many different religions and philosophical views came together as they had many different travelers who visited Colossae. The change of trade routes uh, in the first century made Colossae less prominent than it had been, which is probably why Paul never ended up there when he went to Ephesus. Colossae was about 200 kilometers east of Ephesus, so it would have been quite a bit out of Paul's way. So there's a very real location where this church is, right? You are in a physical place. We are here at Twilliger Community Church in Edmonton. But Paul points also to this idea that they are in Christ. You are in Christ. In Christ is a common phrase used by Paul over 70 times in the New Testament. This is in contrast to being in Adam. In Christ is Paul's way of saying that believers are now located in a new place. They're located in a right relationship with their heavenly father. Empowered by God's spirit to now live life well as they were designed to live it. So again, we need to remember Paul has never met these people. He's only heard about them through Epiphras. And as Paul reflects on the theological truths that he knows... As he reflects on the testimony given to him by Epiphras, he speaks these words to them. You are holy. You are faithful. You are in Colossae, yes, but you are also, and more significantly, in Christ. Paul's example here teaches us that in responding to others' needs, that we respond to others' needs by blessing them. We respond to others' needs by blessing them. We bless them. Paul here is blessing the church, which is to say that he is speaking well of them. To bless someone is to speak well of someone. It is to admire something in someone and then share with them that admiration. The opposite of blessing, of course, is to curse someone. Cursing someone is demanding that something in them that is blessed stops. It's seeing a gifting in someone and saying that, you know, sure they have that gifting, but whatever. It's not that great. It's a curse. It's seeing something in someone that's blessed and saying it needs to stop. But Paul uses his words to bless. And we see a lot of cursing in our day. People curse out of envy. They curse out of insecurity. They curse out of past hurts or fears. We curse when we want to do harm to another person. And in a culture where much cursing is going on, we, like Paul, need to seek to bless 
and not curse. When I think about Pastor Norb's message last week, this whole idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves, I think that being people who bless and not curse is a wonderful application of that message. That we don't shy away from sharing with other people something that we admire in them. So we've all experienced both blessing and cursing in our own lives, haven't we? I remember when I was younger, learning how to play the piano. Um, I would, well, I was, a, I was a pastor's kid, so I would steal my dad's keys, and I'd sneak into the church, um, and I would play piano on the big grand piano in the sanctuary at McKernan Baptist. And I loved playing that piano. And I can remember one morning playing that piano, and an older woman from the church coming and finding me in the sanctuary and saying, I need to stop it. I'm playing too loud. I'm banging on the keys. I'm going to break the piano, and I don't sound that good anyway. She cursed me. And as a young kid, something like that could totally derail you from ever playing the piano again. But later on in my life, I remember after a time of leading worship, a man came up to me and said, Adam, I love when you play piano. You need to keep playing piano. Keep working on it. Keep getting better. Because when you play piano, there's just something about that. And he chose to bless me. Paul begins his letter to the Colossians by blessing them. Because maybe they didn't feel very holy. Maybe they didn't feel very faithful. Maybe they felt like they were kind of screwing this thing up. They were struggling in their faith. But to them, Paul says, you are holy You are faithful. So too, when we begin responding to the needs that we see around us, we have the opportunity to bless, to not curse, to speak well of someone, to call something out in their lives that we see that is admirable. We can remind others of who they are, that they are loved by God, that they are seen by God, no matter what they're facing. Well, the third section of Paul's greeting um, is, is just that, his greeting to them. Very simply, he writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Paul's greeting here is a reminder to the Colossians of what they had received from God. Paul recognizes that being holy or faithful, being God's chosen people is not something that we can gain by our own resources. But it's something that God extends to us. These two words pack in the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that's come to us. When Paul talks about grace, he's reminding them that their status is ultimately dependent on God's intervention on their behalf. An intervention that they do not deserve. That there is nothing that they can do to attain the status of holy on their own efforts. It's all about what God has already done. He wishes them peace as well. Peace here is the Old Testament idea of shalom. Shalom is not simply the absence of conflict, but rather a picture of completeness or wholeness, of all being made right. That the greatest need that you have, the greatest need that you have for peace with God has been established by him. Again, by his grace. Paul's example in this greeting 
teaches us that we can help others by offering perspective. We can help others by offering perspective. Paul reminds the Colossians of the reality that God is at work in their lives. Grace and peace from God. No matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, no matter the difficulty that you are experiencing, grace and peace from God. God is at work. God is moving. So too we help others to see the work of God in their lives. I'm so blessed to have a wife who often will ask me difficult questions. Sometimes when others come and bring us perspective, it's, it's not something that we might appreciate, right? But I might be complaining to her about something. I might be kind of venting or unloading a frustration of the day. And she'll just say something that challenges me. Something that kind of calls me out of that situation to have a different perspective. She asks me a question that ultimately might cause me to to ask and wonder, well, what's God up to in this situation? What's God trying to teach me? What's God doing in my life? Jelena and I had a pastor in our time in Calgary who kind of annoyed us at the time. As we were struggling through different things, he kept saying, well, what's God trying to do in this season? What's he trying to do in your life in this season? And it's like the last thing you want to hear in a difficult season. But when I look back, he was right. There was grace and there was peace. There was opportunity to engage with God that was unique in that season that we may have missed had we not had the invitation of a friend. So this is Paul's greeting to the Colossians. Before he jumps into the, the majesty of Jesus, before he jumps into how they're to live their lives, walking with Jesus faithfully in a culture uh, in their time that has totally rejected or has, is kind of living by the Roman rule, before he jumps into how their lives are to be different than the world around them, he gives them this greeting. He reminds them of, of who they are. He blesses them. As he was sitting down to respond to these significant needs, obviously needs that we are going to explore in the weeks to come, before jumping into any detail, he gave them Jesus, he blessed them, and he offered them perspective by reminding them who they are and what God has done. Friends, the reality of blessing that Paul was able to give that's established in this text, was of course made possible only by Jesus Christ. That Paul could say grace and peace to you, that he could call them holy and faithful, was only because of what Christ has done. This morning we might say to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters who are in Christ at Terwilliger Community Church, grace and peace to you. Friends, this is our identity. And we have this identity not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done. This morning we have the opportunity to turn our attention to the table, to communion, to look at the bread and the cup, the broken body of Christ and his shed blood for us, which brought to us grace and peace. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on the platform. I know that during our time in COVID, we've maybe lost a bit of the opportunity to reflect uh, during our communion times. It's maybe felt a little bit abrupt for us. Um, and so we, we want to give us opportunity this morning uh, to, just, to do just that. Um, and as the worship team plays this first this song, um, we're going to take some time to reflect. And then afterwards, Pastor Nor will come and lead us in taking uh, the taking of communion. But as we think about this introduction to this letter, and as we anticipate taking communion, there may be a few things you want to reflect on. You might want to reflect on the fact that no matter what you have done, if you have trusted in Jesus, you are in Christ. You are a saint. We can pause in a posture of thanksgiving this morning and thank Jesus that he has made us holy. Or perhaps this morning, is it an opportunity for you to renew faithfulness to God? As you reflect on what's maybe going on in your own life, you might think, man, I, sure, Paul calls them faithful. I, I don't think I've been that faithful to Jesus. Well, perhaps during this song, it's a time of prayer and just confession of that and, and kind of renewing that faithfulness to Jesus in this season. Or perhaps this morning there are people who you are mindful of that you're much more interested in cursing rather than blessing. As we play this song, you can reflect on how you may extend the love of God which you have received and give back to those people blessing instead of curse. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for just even in two verses, just how much Paul packs in there. This reminder that we can be Jesus in the world as he was able to represent you, Jesus, to the Colossians. This reminder of an identity that is sealed and based not on our works or our efforts, but on what Christ has accomplished on the cross. A reminder to us that your grace and peace comes to us no matter our situation or our circumstance. You are with us. So Jesus, we pray in this, in this time, in these moments, that we would reflect on these truths. And that as we reflect on the way we've received help from you in our times of trouble, I pray too, Lord Jesus, that you would inspire us to consider how we may be helped to others as we extend your love to this world, as we are your hands and your feet in this world. Amen.